ओम ज्ञान चिरंजन The idea grew in my mind of making a, a, a more extensive biography of Shri Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati as to that day being compiled based, in, uh, based on the idea of the Prabhupada Namrata. Probably most of you are familiar with this small book called Prabhupada Namrata, but actually the original book in English is a very big six-volume uh, edition with many, many uh, anecdotes from Prabhupada. Uh, so I thought to compile such a book on Sri Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati. Now, uh, there were already several biographies published in uh, Bengali and one in Orient language also. And one of the Bengali editions has been translated into a very poor kind of English. However, I found that these biographies, they were mostly uh, collections of dates and places and events which was also nice, no doubt. But it, did, it didn't leave such a strong impression as the Prabhupada Dhammatism. No, because uh, through this, so many different anecdotes, we, we really felt that we came to know something about Prabhupada as a person. Sita Prabhya Sita Bhasha Samadhi Sarsikri Shabbat Sita Di Kimpagashi Takima Sita Vajri Bikin In Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna asks Krishna about the symptoms of the self-realized person. How does he talk? How does he say? How does he sit? How does he walk? He wanted to know what's, what's a self-realized person, what's he actually like? Now, of course, a self-realized person cannot be known uh, simply by describing or analyzing him. There's a very interesting thing that Shvaktisthana Sashvakaka once said to his disciples. Because naturally, as his guru, he was always speaking and instructing them he said that I'm speaking and you are hearing but there is a gap between us not simply a physical gap just like in between me and you there's a space a gap a gap of consciousness of realization so as Hari Shantra was saying last night that uh, that people say about him that well Hari Shantra he knows Prabhupada but as far as he's concerned I don't know Prabhupada. Jananta eva jananta kimba bhuktyaname prabhomana sarovakasarovacho vailavantarabhocharaha. Lord Brahma said about Krishna that some people may think that they may say that they know you. Let them speak like that. But as far as I'm concerned, neither by bodily, vocal, or mental activities is it possible to understand your glories. So like Krishna, his children also to know him, especially for persons of very limited consciousness like ourselves, we cannot know them. Nevertheless, by beginning to know them, by hearing about them and trying to follow in their footsteps and seeking their blessings, then we can begin to know them. And such persons can introduce us to Krishna. Such persons come to this world to introduce us to Krishna. It is impossible for us to understand Krishna by any other means except by the mercy of the great devotees. So Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswatthakur, he was a ray of Vishnu. He came to this world to pick up devotees, to pick up conditioned souls and bring them back to Lama. You can see he had a tremendous impact on the world. Uh, the disciples, uh, yeah, I, I met 
many of his disciples who were still living at that time. And even though he had passed, even though Saraswati Thakur had passed away long before, uh, it was obvious that he was still in, in, in such a major influence in their lives. I, I met several of his disciples um, in the same manner that the Prabhupada, the Amrita, one of the main uh, methods of collecting information for that was interviewing Prabhupada's disciples and others who had had interaction with Prabhupada. So I thought to use the same technique. I had to find out, find out the few disciples that were still remaining, of which there are maybe only four or five in the world at the present time. Now, there were various difficulties um, in getting in collecting this information. Apart from the difficulties of finding out who the disciples were and where they, where they lived, and the uh, various difficulties in tracking them down and going by train and bus and rickshaw and horseback and foot and so many ways to try and find them. But um, one of the main difficulties was that most of the disciples I met had had very little association with them. It, it's just like most of Prabhupada's disciples they didn't actually have much personal association with them. They didn't see them very much. And many of them uh, who were, you can imagine that these were the last who were still present in this world. So uh, many of them had joined when they were very young and shortly after they'd been initiated, Saswari Thakur passed away. So many of them didn't know much more than what was already written in various books. And that was, uh, of course, that was another of my sources of knowledge was going through the, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of literature in Bengali either written by him or about him. Yeah. So I consulted some of that, but there are still oceans more, huge, huge volume of literature. Oh, yeah. it's still untranslated. So, anyway, I was uh, conducting these interviews. But another problem is that um, several of the devotees I met, they didn't want to talk to me about this. Um, many of them, when they wanted to talk to me, they didn't want to talk to me at all, or they wanted to talk about other things. I'd ask them about Saraswati Thakur, and they'd speak for one minute, and then they'd go and talk about something else completely different, and I couldn't find the subject. I actually found the householder devotees much more accommodating to me than the sannyasis. For some reason or other, it was yeah, I found them. So anyway, I was going here and there, and I was getting a few odd anecdotes here and there, until um, one devotee in Mayapur, directed, who who's from Katak in Orissa, he asked me, well, have you seen Dr. Shekhar And he said, no. So he told me, you won't see him, he'll have to. So I went to visit him. He had uh, joined the Mat at a young age when he was 16. And uh, actually, Murphy Sansos, he, as he did with many young boys who joined the Mat, he took special care of them. And he had been very affectionate to some to Jyoti Shekhar. He has been Jyoti, not Jyoti. Jyoti means light, and Jyoti is the Oriya Kambanyali pronunciation of Yati. Um, and it appeared that he'd been a very observant young boy, and he'd, uh, he'd kept his eyes open and ears open and seen so many things and heard so many things and remembered so many things. So uh, he was living at home in Chandan Harikusha, and all his family, I mean, after leaving the mat, he'd become married, and all his family members were all devotees. Uh, every evening his family members would join together and chant songs of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. They all knew all the songs of Bhaktivinoda Thakur by heart, and that's quite good, because there are a lot of songs. So uh, he was, uh, at first, he was a little hesitant, but uh, after some time he understood my purpose. But I, actually I explained to him what I wanted to do, and then he was very happy. 
I told him I want to collect anecdotes that that people have personally seen, that you you've seen, you've heard, your own personal interactions with Saraswati Thakur. I said I want to publish this for, for the benefit of the of the world in general and the Vaishnavas in particular. It will be very valuable and instructive. So Dr. Shekhar told me, yes, uh, I can tell you many such anecdotes. So uh, I sat down with him under the thatched roof of his temple. Temple means yes. his hometown, a small. And for about two hours in the morning and two hours in the evening, for three or four days, he told me so many things. And I would ask questions and prompt him. And he understood my purpose and he, he didn't go off the point unless I asked him about some particular thing. But he would concentrate on just giving one story after another, after another, after another. So after three or four days, he said, okay, that's all for now. And you come back again after some time. And what ha- I went away and after a few months I came back and he had a, he had a, he'd written down a whole list of so many things. Yeah. So in this way, I visited him maybe, oh, I don't know, maybe eight times, ten times, twelve times, and for a few days at each time, and each time he would tell me so many things. And once he took me to uh, a place in the middle of the Mahanadi River outside Katak, where there's an island, and on the island there's a big rock where you can see the imprint of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's foot. And we had many discussions also. He was a lifelong follower of Anantabhasudri, who's uh, probably the most controversial figure in Goryamat history. Probably the most controversial. Anyway, there was much discussion on uh, different points of philosophy uh, based on that. On this controversial, some controversies. So uh, on certain points we had uh, very severe differences of opinion. But uh, nevertheless, we were united in the purpose of wanting to broadcast the glories of Sasuataka. Once he said to me that, he said, uh, he said, uh, I, I'm like a, a merchant who has got the goods, and you are like a train who will bring them to the required place. And once I was discussing with him, and he happened to mention the name of, in the course of his speaking, he happened to mention the name of Bhangshi Das Babaji. So I remember I'd seen the name of Bhangshi Das Babaji Maharaj in a calendar, Vaishnav calendar, but I didn't know anything else more about him than that. And, and no one else, uh, I, that I'd spoken to also, they also didn't know anything about him. So when he mentioned the name of Vamsi Das Babaji Maharaj, I said, do you know anything about Vamsi Das Babaji Maharaj? So, yes, he said in English. Uh, so I said, well, could you tell me something about him? And yes. And uh, the result is that book on Vamsi Das Babaji Maharaj. He had actually written a book himself in Oriya about Vamsi Das Babaji Maharaj. And uh, he personally translated that into Bengali in handwriting for me. Because I don't know Arya, but I know Bengali. And that, and the extra anecdotes he told me formed the basis for the book, which I think many of you know, about Vamsidas Babaji Maharaj. So, um, of course, what he told about Vamsidas Babaji Maharaj is much less than that about Bhaktisthan Sasrakako. Vast resources of uh, information about Bhaktisthan Sasrakako. But um, most of it is in old uh, magazines, and old means going back to the 1920s and 30s. The Gorya magazine especially, uh, which was bi-week, um, you know, kick means a four-letter magazine, published by the Gorya Mount at that time. Uh, so this and other sources I've been researching over these years, it's been a long time since I've been asking. But at some point I, you know, we, we I thought I should publish the book instead of just going and researching and researching. So, uh, 
hopefully when I get back to India in a few days, I can work on actually getting it printed as the uh, final proofreading is supposed to be going on now. Now, one interesting thing about, um, I was saying there were various biographies published, and now there's one interesting point about them, is that most of these biographies were um, published by different sects or different what we might call splinter groups of the Gondomat. So although the basic history is the same, it's presented somewhat differently in the various biographies. You'll find in one biography that such and such a devotee is the great hero who was who did everything for Bhaktisiddhanta Sarthakur, and others were simply rogues or they're simply their names and not mentioned at all. Whereas in another group's biography, the ones who are represented as the rogues, they are the heroes, and the heroes of the other book are the rogues, or they're not mentioned at all. They well, simply don't exist. Because after Sarsar Thakur passed away, there was uh, severe infighting within the Gorya Mount. As Sarsar Thakur told his disciple, Abhai Charanaravindadas, who we now know as Srila Prabhupada, he told him, Arunjalva, Bhaya he was talking about the Goryamat. He said the fire will burn, the, the, the fire of sectarian interests will blaze up and consume the mission. So practically that happened. And after Sasra Thakur passed away, the, uh, the, the different, there were two major groups who fought with each other. And there was uh, there were court cases and physical fights and a few murders also. So a very bitter feeling was generated. Uh, therefore, the uh, biographies that were written, they were very uh, biased, actually. So it's very difficult for me to... Uh, you can imagine it's very difficult for me to get, uh, to get actual subject or objective uh, opinions or objective uh, analyses of what actually happened during that period. Um, it, even if an incident happens, if you ask five different people... Five minutes later, you'll get five at least slightly different versions. So you can imagine what it's like asking people more than 50 years after the events. Plus, people's uh, memories tend to be influenced by what they, what their opinion is. So uh, it's a very sensitive subject writing about Sarasar Tapa. Because whatever you write, various followers are going to be displeased. Unless you write a completely biased account, um, then everybody will be displeased. If you write a biased account, then one side will be pleased and the other side totally displeased. And if you write, uh, if you try to write a balanced account, then both sides will say you're favoring the other side. So, uh, notwithstanding that, I took up the difficult task of trying to write a biographical. Uh, what should we call it? It's, it's not really a, a biography plus a biographical work on Sanskritaka. Now, before I start telling anecdotes, let's let's try and see the background in which Sarsar Thakur was present and preaching. We've all heard how Sarsar Thakur was uncompromising and strict and stern. He was a fighter for the truth. He didn't believe in compromise even slightly. He said, "Who who he who compromises is finished." Now, uh, we of course we very much admire his austerity and his strictness and his firm determination to only stick to the truth. But we may be surprised, why was he so strong? Is it really, was it really necessary? There seems to be a certain difference between Bhaktinoda Thakur and Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. One of the differences being that Bhaktinoda Thakur 
Uh, in his writings, he pointed out the defects of wrong philosophies and misrepresentations of Vaishnavism. But in his personal dealings and his preaching, he was very polite with people. And even his writings, he, although he pointed out the defects, he was quite relatively polite about it. According to the uh, well-known saying of Manu, Satyam Bruyat Priyam Bruyat Ma Bruyat Apriyam Satyam. He said that, uh, Satyam Apriyam, he said that Manu writes that uh, one should speak truthfully and pleasantly and one should not speak a truth, uh, even if unpleasant, one should not broadcast it. One should not, Mahabharat, Satyam Apriyam, even if it's unpleasant, one should not broadcast an unpleasant truth. Asasa Thakur, he didn't adhere to that, not, to not broadcast the uh, unpleasant truth. Unlike Bhaktivedal Thakur, he didn't make friends with the people who were misrepresenting Krishna. He did not adopt any indirect means of presenting Gauri Vaishnavism. In English, there's a saying to call a spade a spade. Do you have a similar saying in Russia? And you could call a spade a uh, a manual earth-lifting instrument. If you call a spade, it's very clear what it is. So Bhaktisthansar Sartako used to openly say that people are rascals, fools, nonsense, like father, like son. His spiritual son, Bhaktivedanta Sankarapad had the same propensity. So Bhaktisthansa Sarkako, he made many enemies. You can imagine if you call people rascals and cheaters, and even more so, uh, if people are cheating others and making plenty of money out of it, and if you point that out, and then their, their cheating stops, they'll be very upset to lose their money and their prestige. But let us try to uh, visualize the situation in Bengal and in India at that time, intercontinental train travel, a plane travel. The, uh, the railway network was a very modern introduction. The, even the uh, radio was very new. Jyoti Shekhar who lived in Qatar, told me that uh, at that time when he was a boy, there was only one radio in the whole of Qatar. Radio receiver. That was the capital. Well, no, not at that time. Um, so, um, the world was ruled by the British. Miram Pravilet. It means they, they were dominant in the world in a way which uh, it's not comparable even to America at the present time. They were directly ruling most of the most of the world. And India was considered the jewel in the British crown. India was very much more traditional then than nowadays. Although India in general and Bengal in particular was going through many cultural changes due to the influence of the British. And uh, many of the, uh, most of the young Bengali intelligentsia, uh, they, they were educated in English media. And under the British influence, they considered their own culture inferior. They were much enamored by Western, in, and particularly British literature, art, religion, philosophical outlook, and so on. Now, apart from that, um, the, even among the Bengalis, even without their British influence, the... Uh, the cult of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was considered very low class. In India, the concept of high class and low class is very much part of the culture. I think not so much in Russia. It's all one class, communist, low class, lowest class. But uh, that, that concept is very much there. Even today in India, people, they immediately when they meet someone, they want to know what his name is what his educational background is, and all it, and then they put him in a slot, he's in this class. 
it mentally put him in a slump. So among uh, educated people or uh, high class people in Bengal, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement was considered, was generally considered to be that something for very low class people. Now actually, historically, uh, many low class people, many people who were considered low class were brought into Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Those who are very fallen, they were lifted up by the holy name. And one of the particular contributions of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is that he uh, made Krishna consciousness available to everyone regardless of caste. So many high caste people, they, they didn't like this. That we should, you know, we're from high caste, then why should we be considered on the same level as these low caste people? And many low caste people took to Krishna consciousness um, being attracted by the by the chanting of Hare Krishna, and also being attracted by the social uh, egalite that it offered. But in course of time, for various reasons, um, actually because the leaders of the Krishna conscious movement themselves became corrupt, therefore the cult of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu mostly became corrupted. Going against the whole teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, certain persons from the Brahmin caste claimed for themselves the hereditary right to be gurus, donations and respect from their disciples and giving them spiritual instruction, therefore everything deteriorated. So they didn't mind to tell people, yes, it's okay, you can eat flesh and you can do whatever you like, just keep on giving me money and I'll give you donations. And you'll all be happy. So this was a major form of deviation within the within Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement. And there are also persons who uh, misrepresented uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's uh, exposition of the highest love of Radha and Krishna to fulfill their own common lusts. So there are many people claiming to be uh, Gorya Vaishnavas but who are actually simply lusty rascals. And they invented such things as, for instance, Kishori Bhajan. Kishori means a young girl and uh, Bhajan means a process of worship. This Krishna is famous for consorting with the Raja Kishoris, which means the young girls of Vindavan. So certain rascals, uh, they would also do their worship using uh, some certain kishoris. And in this way, uh, introduced illicit sex into the cult of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Because illicit sex in India at that time, and even at present, is uh, socially reprehensible in India. So the trick, their trick was to disguise illicit sex as a highly religious act. But uh, naturally, more discerning people and hardness. So, Bhaktisthan Sarsar Thakwa appeared as the way of Vishnu. Bhaktisthan Thakwa, he uh, was preaching Krishna consciousness. He was the first to turn the tide away from the disparagement of Krishna consciousness by educated and more cultured people. Uh, disparagement means uh, putting it down, speaking against it, being against it. Disparagement. Bhaktivinoda Thakur was the first to turn the tide against the disparagement of Gaurav Vaishnavism by the educated and cultured people at the time. Mm. But he prayed to Krishna that, uh, I can't do this work alone, you please send your representative. Of course, Bhaktivinoda Thakur himself is a representative of Krishna. But in his humility, he prayed for uh, another representative to come. The Acharyas, they're very kind, they don't do everything, they leave some work for us to do mm. the next generation. So Bhaktisiddhanta Sarsar Thakur appeared in answer to the prayers of Bhaktisiddhanta Thakur, his own son. And from the very beginning of his life, he demonstrated 
intense devotion to Krishna. At the uh, at the age of five years, there's a well-known incident where Bhaktivedanta brought some mangoes to his home, brought from the bazaar. And the young boy, Bimala, that was his name at home, Bimala Prasad, he took one of the mangoes. Bhaktivedanta used to worship Girid Harishila at home. And he chastised the young boy that why you're taking food is not offered to the deity. Don't you know that's an offense? So the boy vowed on the spot, I've made an offense, I will never eat mango. At such a young age, he had uh, such a sense of Krishna consciousness. And he started that vow throughout his life because of that unknowing mistake as a young child. And actually, uh, people would bring gifts to sadhus, and fruit is the com- very common gift to bring to a sadhu. And mango is the king of fruits. So during the season, naturally, people would bring mango. And you'd say, no, I am an offender, I cannot take it. Even if there was an offense, just for the sake of argument, let us say there was an offense, that had been wiped out hundreds and millions and billions of times by his uh, preaching and his his firmness in devotional service. But he considered, no, I cannot do it. This is called nishtha, firm determination. So this was uh, the background in which Sasarataka appeared. Probably most of you have read that book, Ray of Vishnu. Who has read that? Yeah, that, that's actually um, the main body, the biography in that book is it's 95% from the, taken from one of the biographies I was saying, which was published in Bengali and then translated very poorly into English. So that was re-edited and put in better English, and that is the basic substance of that book. So uh, I won't tell much from that book, but uh, having given some background, starting from tomorrow, I'll start to tell some various anecdotes. I can, I'll tell one or two now, just to give some idea. And, uh, one headmaster of a school came and asked him for initiation. Of course, in those days, uh, headmaster of a school was a very highly respected person because teacher means like a guru, and they, they weren't so many schools in those days either. So this teacher happened to have a long beard. So the Sansasaratabha said, yes, you can take initiation, but you have to shave off your beard. So he said, well, you know, I've been growing my beard for a long time. He said, so Sasaratabha, you have to decide which is your Priya. Priya means that which is very dear. So Priya or Krishna? So he chose his Priya. He didn't take initiation. It's a good test. He generally insisted that, at least for initiation, male devotees shave their heads. It's a good test because generally people are attached to their bodies and especially to their hair style. As it's mentioned in Bhagavatam, Lavanya Kesha Dharana. In Kali Yoga, people will be very much attached to their beautiful hairstyles. Another time, I think that one person approached Sasar Thakur and said, why are you telling us so many difficult things? Because Sasar Thakur, he was preaching Chan Hare Krishna and follow four regulated principles. Actually, he only told anything and follow the regulated principles, uh, which included no eating of meat, fish or eggs. Now, often when I was traveling in Bengal, people told me, in our home, we never eat meat or eggs. They considered that to be very good. But they didn't say we don't eat fish. They only said meat or egg. Because Bengali people are very attached to eating fish. There are many rivers and ponds in Bengal. And it's free food. Very nutritious and very tasty. And Bengalis like it very much. So this, uh, and when I say very tasty, I don't mean that you should eat it. But uh, Bengalis seem to like it. Personally, I think it stinks. But, uh, you know, wherever you are in Bengal, at midday you, you smell this fish smell. But, uh, you know, Bengalis like it very much. I don't. Don't, don't think when I said it's tasty that I'm eating fish, but 
So anyway, this uh, man is saying, why are you telling us so many things, difficult things, no eating fish? So why don't you give us an easy process, such as Chantai Krishna, eat fish and be happy. <laughs> no, he didn't say that, but that was in plan. So Sajjana Thakur said, you are fallen in the well. So I'm giving you a rope so to pull you out. And why do you want to try and pull me in? You can imagine if someone's fallen in a well, someone sends a rope to try and pull it out, but instead he tries to pull the person down with it. So there are many such little anecdotes. And uh, Krishna willing, I'll tell them all tomorrow. As I said, this is all going to be made into a book, Krishna willing. It should be published soon. In the meantime, I'd like to advertise uh, two of my books, which I have here. So, it's Prasadra, all right. Someone bought the distribution? Yeah. All right, well, um, we have some Prasadra for distribution here. So I guess I can do that now, if you don't want to come and take some prasad. I distribute prasad. <laughs> Somehow I can make the devotees happy, then I'll get that blessing. So please bless me, take some prasad. And uh, if you don't have these books, please encourage me and take these books also. And we also have last just now coming. Zaptaram, <laughs> 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 Can you translate that?